0: Well, I can't tell you how happy I am to be back with you this morning. I love our family here at White Oak and I missed you greatly. And while I was gone, I was teaching in the Preacher University in Southern Sumatra and my topic was the work of an evangelist. And so as I was speaking on that topic and I was encouraging those brethren to do those things that I believe an evangelist ought to do, I became homesick for white oak because I knew that that's what I wanted to be doing here. But uh, the time passed, and I was able to uh, do a good work in in Indonesia in, uh, on three of the three separate uh, islands there of Indonesia. And so, uh, Brother Barry Hatcher wants me to extend to you his uh, great thankfulness that. Uh, you allowed me to go and be a part of that uh, this year. Now, he has plans for me to return. And he sent me an email, and I just ignored that. I didn't even respond to it. I I didn't even want to talk about it. But uh, anyway, he is thankful for that, and I appreciate the good work that he's doing. But we have a great work here also. But he did want me to extend that. Uh, I am uh, delighted... That Brother Zach is uh, part of our number now. I appreciate his desire to be faithful, and I am thankful to have him here. We need him, and I'm glad that he is here. Uh, I'm sorry that I missed game night. I called Nicole uh, one night, and it was game night, and so she didn't have a whole lot of time to talk to me. She had to get back to game night, and and I said, well, I wish I were there, because I know there was some cheating going on since I was not here to patrol the tables and so uh but you had one night of that, so I'm gonna I'll be back next time and I'll make sure that there's no cheating going on. I am I am delighted, I am so glad to be back with you. You know, Henry Ford made the statement one time. He said, I may not know all the answers, but I at least know where to get them. And we all have questions, don't we? There are questions in this life that we want answers to. Now there are some questions in this life that are a little bit trivial and uh but we still would like to have some answers. I read uh uh a list of some questions and and I thought they were quite amusing. They uh 10 questions that we have no answer for. One was how come wrong numbers are never busy? Does killing time damage eternity? Why doesn't Tarzan have a beard? Why is it called lipstick if you can still move your lips? Why is it that night falls and day breaks? Why is the third hand on the watch called the second hand? Can you buy an entire chess set at the pawn shop? How do you write zero in Roman numerals? If you jog backward, will you gain weight? Why is the time of day with the slowest traffic called rush hour? Now those are some questions that we're not going to be able to answer and really we don't need an answer to those, and, but there are some questions we need to answer when it comes to our salvation and like Mr. Ford said, we may not know all of the answers, but we know where to go ask the question, where we can receive the answer and we can trust those answers, but we do need to follow his example. We need to go to the correct source, right? We need to go to the uh, the inspired Word of God. We need to see what God has to say about these questions. And we need to ask the questions. We need to ask those questions. God has always encouraged mankind to ask. Don't just accept, ask. Try the spirits. See whether they are from God or not. Be like the Bereans. Search the Scripture daily. Their preacher was the Apostle Paul and they still didn't take his word for it. They wanted to know from the Word of God. They knew where to go to get the answers. And that's what we ought to do. We not only need to know the source, we also need to understand which questions to ask, don't we? It has been said that learning takes place in three stages. First of all, in the beginning we learn the right answers. In the second stage... We learn the right questions. And then in the final stage, we learn which questions we need to be asking. And that made sense to me. I, could, I can look at that. Of course, this question to which Paul is talking is, how can I be saved and how can I remain that way? I want us to open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's notice what Paul said in verses 31 through 35. He begins verse 31 with a question. He says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Paul asks six questions, but he wants us to go to the right source. Now, we can go to a different source. We can go to uh, man-made religions. We can go to the various denominations of the world. But we need to go to God's written Word. We need to go to Him. We could ask Satan these six questions, but he wouldn't answer them. He wouldn't have an answer for these six questions. But we know where we can go. The answer is we can go to God. Now often, again, people of the world go to the wrong source. They put their trust in, in some man or some organization. Now that's okay to follow after an individual like Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, uh, follow me even as I follow Christ. Now, we can follow someone as long as they are living in a godly way. But we need to make sure that that's what we're doing. At one time, Paul had to address a problem in Corinth concerning his apostleship. Some false uh, teachers had come into the congregation, had begun to stir up a little bit of trouble, and had begun to harm the work that he established in Corinth. In fact, they even told the people there that they were apostles themselves. And so he had to write a letter to them to correct that belief he said for such are false apostles deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of christ and no marvel for satan himself is transformed into an angel of light second corinthians 11 verse 14 that's exactly what satan would have us to believe satan wants us to go to him To find the answers. Now, he understands that we're not going to search out Satan to find answers to something, but he wants us to go to some other organization other than the New Testament church that we read about in the Bible. He wants us to go to somewhere he's going to present himself as a masked individual. Someone that is a follower of God. Someone that's going to give the right answers to the right questions. But see, we have to be so very careful. In our passage this morning, there are six questions that Paul asked. There are six questions that will impact our lives spiritually if we allow it to do that. But Satan is working hard to make us believe that he has a better way because he has transformed himself into an angel of light, he's put on a disguise. He has presented Himself as one who has all the answers to all the right questions. But let's notice these questions. We're going to look at six questions that Paul asked that Satan will not answer. And the first question Paul asked has to do with our protector. Our protector. He asked this question, What shall we then say to these things? Paul is wanting a conclusion to be made. He gave a litany of things prior to this statement. He gave a source of information and he wants to know what can be drawn from those statements that he made. What is the conclusion? Well, notice what Paul had pointed out. He had pointed out that the blessings and the future glory that we can gain as Christians can only be gained if we are Christians. We have to be a Christian. He told those in Corinth. He said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. He's saying, the glories of heaven are given to those who have obeyed the gospel. And then he says, what shall we say then? He asked that question. Draw the conclusion. He expressed a similar thought. To the brethren in Ephesus, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Again, if we want spiritual blessings, we have to be faithful. We have to have obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. We have to be obedient to God. So how do we go about walking after the Spirit as Paul commanded The Corinthians. How do we do that? Well, I think it begins with a deliberate study of the Word of God. We know that uh, Paul said, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That wasn't just a good idea, that was a commandment. So, how do we go about being filled with the Spirit so we can walk after the Spirit? Again, it goes back to a study of the Word of God. We are filled with the Spirit, and in His Companion letter written to the Colossian brethren. He said, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 That's a companion letter. He's making the exact same statement in Ephesians 5 that he's making in Colossians chapter 6. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. That's how we're filled with the Spirit. That's a study of the Word of God. We're going to walk after the Spirit. We have to know what He teaches we have to understand what the message is, right? David proclaimed to us in Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The words of God, when they fill our minds, and that's what the, the, the spiritual heart is, isn't it? It's our mind. We fill our minds with the Word of God. There is no room for sinful thoughts. We, we get rid of the sinfulness in our lives. We remember the... The parable that Jesus spoke of the man filled with the demon and and the demon was cast out, but he didn't fill himself with anything else. And so it was as if it was a house swept clean. Well, what happened? The demon went out, but then he went and got some friends, didn't he? And he brought back a multitude of demons and the man was worse off than he was to begin with. So how do we walk after the Spirit? We have to do it by study of God's Word. We have to fill ourselves With what God says. Satan doesn't have an answer for man's sin. He doesn't have an answer because he's the problem, right? He's not going to help us find an answer to sin. So, what is the conclusion we come to after learning that the blessings of God are found only in Jesus? So, we have to have a conclusion. Well, we have to be able to access him. Uh, Paul, in his next question, he talks about a comparison. If we're going to access Christ as our protector and be in His safety, we have to get into Him. Paul gives a a comparison in his next question. He guides the reader from the conclusion to the comparison. And the second question is this. If God be for us, who can be against us? If we're in Christ and we've given ourselves wholly to Him and He is for us, Who can be against us? Remember what the conclusion was, right? All spiritual blessings are in Christ. All future glory is in Christ. Therefore, if God is for us, and we choose to be in Christ, no one can take that away from us, right? That's what he's talking about. Remember, the whole of Romans, and we're studying that on Sunday morning, how do we stand justified in the sight of God? If we're faithful to Christ... What do we have to fear, in other words, right? Well, nothing. We do not have anything to fear. That doesn't mean that uh, bad things won't happen to good people. I was talking with, uh, with Clay earlier, and I, uh, the last place where I held a gospel meeting in, on one of the islands in Indonesia, one of the brothers said, is it true that I hear that Christians will carry guns in the assembly in America? I said, amen, brother, that's exactly what we do sometimes. He said, really? Why would you do that? I said, because it's dangerous. It can be dangerous in certain parts of our nation. He said, do you not believe God will protect you? I said, I believe God will bless our efforts to protect ourselves. God will bless our efforts to be faithful to Him. God will give us our daily bread as we work and He blesses our efforts, right? Of course, that's just an example. I thought it was kind of humorous that He would ask that. But we need to... Do our part, right? We need to understand that we have nothing to fear if God blesses us. Now, that doesn't mean bad things won't happen to us. But in the end, what do we have? Future glory. Future glory. That's the comparison. That's the conclusion, right? In his second question, he says, if. Now, that's not a question to uh, uh, to ask. That's not a question looking for... Uh, a question, uh, something of uncertainty, that's not what he's doing. What he's saying is it is rather a statement of understanding. If God is for us, we might say, since God is for us, who can be against us? That's really what he's saying, isn't it? He's acknowledging that God is for us. So if He's for us, what do we have to fear? Well, nothing. We have nothing to fear. So in these first two questions, we see that God is our protector. He loves us. He's for us. He's going to make sure that we're safe. If we're obedient, He'll usher us into heaven on the last day. He's our protector. But within that second question, He also deals with our predicament, doesn't He? We're in a predicament. That's our second point. How did God affect the predicament that man has found himself in? Well, he did it through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? That's involved in these questions that Paul is asking. How does he protect us and how do we gain entrance into him? Well, his very son came to earth. And in verse 32, Paul wrote that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. The sacrifice. He asked the question, you're in a predicament. If He gave His only Son, or since He gave His only Son, we know God is for us. Why? Because He gave His Son. That's kind of the answer to the second question, isn't it? If God is for us, who can be against us? Or since God is for us, who can be against us? Why, no one. How do I know? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. If He gave His only begotten Son for us, no one can vanquish us. And God has always had man's ultimate good in mind. Every action that He participated in, in the unfolding of creation, in the unfolding of the uh, uh, salvation of man, beginning in the garden, He always had man's best interest in mind. From eternity, He purposed to save man. Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. It was the eternal purpose and it was realized in Jesus Christ. That's how we know God loves us. God knew we were going to find ourselves in a predicament that we could not get out of on our own. So we see here that God, Paul goes from a question concerning sacrifice to one that talks about security. His sacrifice is what gives us security, right? How do we know God loves us? He gave His only Son. What did that do? Washed our sins away made us faithful in His sight, justified us, will usher us into heaven if we remain faithful. That is security. I believe in security that the Bible teaches. But I do not believe in the Calvinistic doctrine of security of once saved, always saved. Because that's not taught in the Bible. That's not there. His sacrifice gives us security. And that's where we find the answer to the third question, right? Right? How shall He, not with Him also, freely give us all things? We should never think that God will fail to fulfill His promises, that He will fail to provide for us the necessary things in this life. But He has provided for us what we need most. That's what His main concern is, spiritual caring. Surely He will provide for our everyday needs if He has provided that. See, it's such a big comparison here. Such a big difference. Christ said, Matthew 6, 31 through 33, He said, don't take any thought for your daily needs. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, verse 33, and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Now, does that mean that we do not have to work for what we need? Does that mean we're not to have cares and concerns and try to meet our obligations in this life? No, that's not what He's talking about. What he's talking about is do not have unnecessary care. Do not be unnecessarily worried about things we have no impact with. Things we cannot control. If we'll be faithful, and we'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then we work very hard in this life to provide our physical needs, God will bless us. He'll bless us. Does that mean that nothing bad will happen to good people? No, that's not what he's talking about. But what He's saying, He's making the difference. God loves His people. Look around. He provides sunshine, right? Rain. He provides seasons. We're able to grow food. We're able to have jobs. If He will give His only begotten Son so that we can have eternal life in heaven one day, why would He not provide for us in this world? See, that's just an example and a proof that God loves us. Just another one. He's not indicating again that we should not work. Because he told Timothy, he said, If any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and he is worse than an infidel. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. We are to work. And he made the statement to those in Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica. rather 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. He said, While we were with you, we worked. Right? We worked. And if you won't work, he said in this passage, neither should you eat. And so we understand that we're supposed to work, but our main goal needs to be on the spiritual. And we have to understand that all physical blessings come down from God, James one seventeen. The bad things that happen in this life are not rooted in God. Have you ever heard someone say, everything has a reason behind it. Everything that happened, there's a reason. Whether it's a car crash, someone dies, an infant perishes in some kind of a natural disaster or or whatever the case may be. There's there's a reason. Well, look, bad things happen to good people, right? God didn't cause that. God didn't cause that. How many faithful brethren in, uh, uh, have we known that have been killed in car wrecks or died from diseases or something? God doesn't want that to happen. But because sin came into the world, poor choices were made, the result is bad things happen to good people. I remember several years ago, Brother Ira Rice, and many of you may know him, he uh, started great work in Singapore and, and it still is flourishing today. He got killed in a car wreck a few years back. Faithful brother. Hard worker. God didn't want that to happen. There was no purpose behind that as far as God was concerned. Only good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights, James 1 in verse 17. We know in Genesis 22:16 that God acknowledged the ultimate love that Abraham had for him. How was that? He offered his only son Isaac because God asked him to. Now think about the greater sacrifice that God made for us, offering his only begotten son, only one of that kind, for the sins of the world. What great love he has for us. Because He knew we were in a predicament where we needed salvation and where we needed security. We needed to have, a, have an avenue of getting out of that so we understand how much He loves us. Satan will not answer that question. He will not answer, will God provide for His people? You know why? Because he's going to say, no, God won't provide for His people. Look at the bad things happening in this life. Look at all the sin and the evil in the world. The problem with evil... That means there is no God, either He's not all-powerful and He can't stop it, or He's not all-loving and He doesn't care. It doesn't have anything to do with God, does it? It has everything to do with disobedience to God that ushered in sin into the world. And God shows His great love for us by giving His only begotten Son because of the predicament of our choices. What a great love God has for us. It's amazing, isn't it? If we do the things that He's asked us to do, we can access the security that He's offered to us. If we do that and we remain faithful to Him, He will preserve us in the end. That's our final point. Just as those false apostles in Corinth questioned and accused Paul, he answered them. And we have the answers here in the Bible for anything that we need to find. Satan continues to accuse even unto this day, faithful Christians. And because of those accusations, Paul asked another question. He said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is going to lay a charge against God's faithful? Who's going to do that? Satan won't answer that question. He won't answer that. Now, what Paul's doing here, he used a metaphor. And it's taken from the judicial system of the day. The purpose is to bring to mind a court scene. What we have is we have a judge and we have uh, someone being accused in front of the judge and then we have the accuser standing presenting the charges. This person did such and such. And that's what Satan is constantly doing to God's faithful. Constantly accusing of wrongdoing. Notice what John said in Revelation 12.10. He said, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. See, for those who have obeyed God and who have remained faithful, it becomes very clear that Satan's accusations are unsuccessful. So who can accuse? Who can bring a charge against faithful Christians? Nobody. No one can do that successfully because of what God has offered to us. John said, if we walk in the light, First John 1, 7, we have fellowship one with another, we have fellowship with God, and the blood of Christ cleanses us continually. You cannot accuse a faithful Christian because he's walking or she's walking in the light and being forgiven of any sin. God will answer... The accusations of Satan and the faithful will be acquitted because there's no charge to be laid. The fifth question Satan will not answer is, Who is he that condemneth? Who is going to condemn the faithful? Who will condemn the one who has been set free? Well, no one. God has justified us so no one can condemn us. There is no appellate court. There's not a higher judge. God is the judge, so who is there to condemn? So that's what Paul's talking about. He said, you have faithful Christians, you have people who have obeyed the gospel, you have people living faithfully in this world, yet Satan will come before God, and he will accuse the faithful, but who's he gonna, who's gonna condemn? You can't go beyond God, and God has justified us, because he is constantly pronouncing innocence to those who walk in the light. Those who live as He would have us to live. Each time we sin, Satan returns to the court of God. Each time we slip up in this life, though we're walking in the light, he returns before God and he stands before Him in this judgment scene. You have a judge. You have the prosecutor. That's Satan. He's charging us. But guess what we also have? We have a mediator. We have someone standing beside us who can place his arm around us and say, No. This man, this woman is innocent. I paid the price. You're acquitted. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that He loves us so much that that can happen? Nothing could be further from the truth than to believe that God somehow, some way, has forgotten us because... We see the faithful. We see His love. And it's acknowledged in that final question. It's acknowledged. Christ said, Who shall separate us from the love of God? See, He sent the message from the Holy Spirit, didn't He? He sent the message. Who will separate us from the love of God? We acknowledge that no one can No one can separate us except ourselves. Notice what he said, John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of his hand. The fact is, and then he gives that list in our passage, tribulations, nakedness, hungry, you're missing the things in this life. What can separate us from God? Nothing can, and he backs that statement up by what Jesus said in John chapter 10. No man, no woman, no circumstance can take us out of the hand of God, but here is what can happen. We can choose to leave. We can leave God. Our love can grow cold. We can choose to leave. How do we know that? Never take my word for it. Never take anyone's word for it. How do we know we can lose our salvation? Well, let's go to Galatians chapter 5. The problem in Galatia was that those people were going to leave and were in the process of leaving Christianity. They wanted to go back to an old law. They were being persecuted. They were being encouraged and pressured to leave Christ, go back to the law of Moses, at least let's add some things out of the law of Moses into Christianity. Paul said if you're bound by one part of the law, you're bound by all of it. He said, if that's the case, Galatians 5 verse 4, you have fallen from grace. We can lose our salvation. And our salvation is so important that we must never allow someone to convince us of something that we specifically read in the Bible that says can happen. We do not have to lose our salvation. We can gain it and we can keep it. And when we embrace the great blessings that we have in Christ, we can come to understand that Satan can't answer these six questions. Only God can. And He has answered them. And we can understand that God is our protector. He saved us from the predicament of sin. And He is our preservation. And He has assured us salvation if, if we remain faithful. We're not guaranteed salvation if we're not faithful. Just like those in Galatia, we can fall. We can lose what God has given us. If we can receive something, we can give it back or we can lose it, right? I have a little flash drive that has all my studies over the years on it. I lost that thing one time. Fortunately, not many times, I actually lost it once. I've misplaced it a time or two. Fortunately, I had it backed up. See, we can lose something we've been given. And so we have to protect it. Our salvation is so important that we need to ask all the right questions. We need to get all the right information. We have to, we have to make people tell us what they're, what they're telling us is found in the Bible, right? That's what we have to do. Don't take someone's word for it. You know, this, this probably comes as a shock to you. I've made a mistake or two in my life. Right? And I've made a mistake or two concerning what's written in this book. And so I had to be taught. I had to learn. And so anyone can make a mistake. And so we have to be faithful. If you've never obeyed the gospel plan of salvation, do that today. Faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repentance of all past sins. Saying, I want to turn my life around. I want to turn back to Him. Acts 17, verse 30. I want to live like He wants me to live confession that He is the Son of God, Romans 10.10. And we see that happening in Acts 8, verse 37 with the Ethiopian eunuch. Going down into the water, being immersed, buried, Romans 6, 3 and 4, coming up out of that water, walking a new life because it washed away our sins, Acts 22.16. It added us to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. That one body that we read about in the New Testament. That's what we want to be a part of. If you've done that, You've stepped out of the light. You've got to get back in the light so we can be cleansed with Jesus' blood. Don't have to be baptized again. Repentance and confession, whether publicly or privately, depending on what happened. And prayer and God will forgive us. If you find yourself in either situation this morning, answer the Lord's invitation at this hour as we stand and as we sing.